Today we want to talk about the value, a core value of New Horizons. It is called Treasuring Holy Spirit. We're viewing, reviewing, I should say, the 12 core values. In May, we looked at believing God is good. The month of June, experiencing God. And this month, the month of July, we, are, we will be looking at treasuring Holy Spirit. And so, first, I just simply want to read this core value. Treasuring Holy Spirit by intimately engaging with and receiving the revelation of God's heart made known through the fruit, gifts, and manifestations of the Spirit. We've been doing this this morning. We've been doing this called treasuring the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is God. We have God in the person of the Father, Christ Jesus the Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we want to look at these today and the next couple weeks. You know, during the Enlightenment age, which started in the early 1700s in Europe and moved westward, focused on the intellectual emphasis, emphasizing reason and comprehension. And compared to hard facts of science or the logic of pure reason, any talk of intuitive knowledge or a personal encounter with Jesus or of knowing the Holy Spirit was dismissed as subjective romanticism. But as Pascal said, he said, the heart, and I quote, the heart has its reasons which reason does not know. Faith in Father, Christ Jesus, and Holy Spirit is rooted in personal encounter, not in abstract logic or scientific fact. Now, that does not mean, however, that faith in the Father, Son, and the Spirit is illogical or even unscientific, but simply that its basis is a real encounter with Father and Christ Jesus by Holy Spirit. This day, as we do when we come together, we encounter Father and Christ Jesus by Holy Spirit. It is essential for life. It is essential in order for us to not only discover but to live in that fullness of who God has created us to be. That we have this interactive relational rapport. You know, there's a great story in Acts chapter 9. Some of you know the story. <clears throat> I'm just going to read a few verses from Acts 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way... Whether men or women, he might bring them to be bound to Jerusalem. And so as he journeyed near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting 
it is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, I want you to rise and go into the city and you will be uh, told what you must do. So the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And there he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This guy Saul was highly educated. He had a reputation for being highly skilled in arguing religious facts and making judgments on matters. And amongst his own people, the Jews, he was considered to be quite noble because he was going to maintain order. And these new followers of Christ who had forsaken that which they understood to be truth, Paul was going to help to set order. Don't you love it, though, how one encounter with Christ by the Holy Spirit humbled Paul and forever changed him? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it amazing? Too often, Christians want to argue Scripture and to prove that they're right. And somehow it feeds the ego and the spirit of pride to try to prove that they're right and others are wrong. I pray that every Christian, I pray that everyone who follows Christ, every one of us included, has Holy Spirit encounters along the way to corral us and to bring into order this need to be right and to be in control. Apostle Paul, who we know of him, who've written much of the New Testament, had one encounter that forever changed him. I would not suggest that we only need one encounter, but on a regular basis, communion with Father, Son, by Holy Spirit to keep our hearts tender to humble us, to bring the kind of adjustments that are necessary so we can grow. We can change without growing, but we can never grow without changing. If our understanding of life and who God is is the same three months from now as it is today, it will mean that you have spent three months growing, not growing, I should say. I think a wonderful prayer for us to pray is, God changed me, change my thinking. May I come to new levels of revelation and encounters with the living Christ. Not just to have somebody pat me on the back for what I believe I already know and understand about life and about God. But God, come and minister to me and strengthen me and change me. You know, this revelation of Jesus for Paul quickly outweighed his trained judgment and obvious prejudice. It kind of dealt with that pretty, pretty quickly. The encounter with Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit rocked his world. And all of his intellectual prowess kind of went out the door, causing Paul to yield to the power and the glory of the manifested Christ by Holy Spirit. I think that it's a prayer that we can pray and should be praying every day for ourselves and for all of our fellow mankind. Holy Spirit, come. 
and reveal the Father and reveal Christ Jesus. And if it takes a radical encounter to get our attention, so be it. How about even if it makes us uncomfortable? I had a fellow some years ago come and visit us one of our meetings and there was a lot of interesting activity going on and <clears throat> people were in interesting places and most were on the floor, some weeping, some crying, some laughing. Some interesting things were happening in this visitation that we experienced as a church. And uh, he came up to me after observing for a couple hours and he said, uh, you know, he said, this isn't... Uh, this just isn't for me. He said, uh, you know, one of the things he said, I, I want to share with you that the Holy Spirit would never make me feel uncomfortable. I just grinned. The Holy Spirit would never make any of us feel uncomfortable. Now we're talking about God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, does he need to get our permission to be comfortable before he can work in our lives? I don't think so. I think a good way to think and to pray is, God, whatever it takes to move me along in my journey of growth, do whatever. How many of you ever experienced the uncomfort or the discomfort, excuse me, the discomfort of the corrective work of Holy Spirit in your inside of you? Oh my goodness. Highly uncomfortable. It's part of the work of God because he loves us. He brings sometimes correction to us. It doesn't always feel good. It's the different things and situations that he works in. It doesn't always make me feel comfortable. I think that what we really want is to say, God, always work in me in whatever ways that you choose even through people sometimes who go about it in less than the most honorable ways, sometimes God works through one another in unseemly situations. Did you know that this encounter that Paul had happened in approximately 34 AD? <clears throat> and, it, and, and Paul was about 30, 29 years of age, they say, okay? He was known as Saul of Tarsus. That was his Jewish name. He be, later became known as Paul, which was his Roman name. And the, the great apostle, the bondservant of Jesus Christ, a prolific church planner throughout Eastern Europe, and spiritual father of many people. And then uh, 20 years later, when Paul was about 49 or 50 years of age, in 54 AD, Paul was living in uh, Ephesus at that time. And while Paul was living in Ephesus, he writes a letter to the church at Corinth. Is what we call 1 Corinthians. It was the first letter that he wrote, or at least that there was record of. And he writes this letter to the Corinthians, and he had been with them about two or three years earlier and um, in the city and amongst the Christians. Now he's writing this letter, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, <clears throat> Paul tells them, he says, When I came to you, my brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. Now you understand that this is in sharp contrast to Saul of Tarsus. He was well educated and he was well schooled and he loved to argue the law. And he would love to prove that he was right and just as the 
as his understanding of the scriptures. And included in his understanding was not that Jesus was the Messiah, for sure. Now, all of a sudden, after his encounter, and even 20 years later, he is still walking with this deep humility and going, man, when I came to you guys, I didn't come with superior speech. Man, I didn't have anything, I didn't have it all figured out. I didn't come to you just trying to argue and my case and to prove you wrong and to prove me right like I did in years before. He said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness. I came to you even in fear and with much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. See, in the Western world, we rely quite heavily on the intellect and our intellectual knowledge. And with that, we try to wield our weapons of truth. And I'm right, and you're wrong, and it's my opinion, and you need to know my opinion, and because I'm right, and oh my goodness. But this isn't the heart of the great Apostle Paul, is it? Because after his encounter with the Lord, it appears from that moment on, there was such a depth of humility in his heart. He no longer was out to prove he was right and to get others, everybody to conform to his perspective and using Bible verses to try to prove his point that he was right and everybody was wrong. Now, he would engage in conversation and he would engage in passionate discussions and such, proclaiming Christ, beautiful, but it was with a different spirit and a different attitude. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how Holy Spirit mellows and humbles our heart and mellows our attitudes. Well, this kind of, uh, this passage of scripture and this kind of talk will drive a rationalist crazy. It's too subjective. And when you get on the subject of Holy Spirit, many, many people get as nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof. It's too scary. I've had people tell me, I've actually had pastors tell me before, and we get into some discussion and say, I just really get nervous on the subject of the Holy Spirit. Well, I get a little nervous in this sense because it is <clears throat> up to God to decide how Holy Spirit will work in my life, and sometimes he works in unpredictable ways. And a little bit of me gets a little nervous about that. But the depths of my heart is like, come Holy Spirit. And the operative word of my heart and our church has been for years, more Lord, more Holy Spirit. I don't think we can ever get too much of Holy Spirit. Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled again and again and again. The language that he uses in Ephesians chapter 5. If we live by rational intellectualism, it negates the need for a real relationship with the living Christ. You know, Christ is very much alive today, has a real body, has emotions. And he, by the Holy Spirit, operates and moves in ways sometimes that we don't understand or expect. 
glory to God. Can you imagine how life, how boring life would be if we lived within the confines of our finite intellectual understanding? Oh my goodness. Christianity then is just reduced down to another set of beliefs and that's just called religion. Vain religion. What causes and the Christianity to be so unique, true Christianity is being subject to the workings of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we want to live. We so value the scriptures. Oh, God has inspired. The scriptures are inspired of God. And God has used them and is using them around the globe today. But we want to be careful even how we use the scriptures. Let's use them in the way that Apostle Paul did. He fed upon scripture. He, it turns out, wrote scripture, being one of those who was inspired by God. But you can get locked onto just knowing scripture so well that you can begin to live by the letter rather than by the spirit. It doesn't bring life. It ends up in arguments of trying to prove someone else wrong and yourself right. Oh, God's so loving and he's so forgiving and gracious to us when we get snagged with that, if any of us have. And I'm so grateful that he wants us to just come into that relational place that, yes, is somewhat subjective, but he wants to move in us beyond an intellectual belief system. He wants to move in us in a manner that is so life-giving. You know, Christ Jesus is Lord, and he's our final authority. Let's remember that. We will never bow down on bended knee and confess that the Bible is Lord. We love the scriptures because God has given them to us. It reveals God, the Father, Christ Jesus, and how he has worked through the ages. But remember, who we bow down to is Christ Jesus. The point simply being is, it's relational. It's what it's all about. It's relationship. It's not about how much we know intellectually and how much we can even so-called defend the faith. What he's looking more is the heart. And what he's looking more, he says, will I find faith? That's what our Lord looks for. He looks for the humble heart. He looks for the heart that has faith. That is so essential to him in this living relationship. You know, from the beginning of the Bible, um, we see love expressions of the Father and Christ and Holy Spirit. And he's, he's always been inviting humanity into this divine dance of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works with every person on the planet, even when we are blind, stubborn, and independent. Aren't you glad that he still just lovingly, gently works on us? Oh, and now and then, he'll give us a little shock and awe, like Saul got on the road to Damascus. But Holy Spirit works in the invisible realm of our lives around us. He works within us to bring us to continual encounters with Christ. And initially, or at least at some point, those encounters, by the grace of God, leads us to salvation and the ongoing process of working out our salvation, which is called transformation. It's called spiritual growth. It's called coming to maturity in Jesus Christ all of which happens by the work of Holy Spirit. 
None of us are smart enough to even know we need God. It's the Holy Spirit that brings about an awareness and it puts some sense of a desire within us initially, but in an ongoing way. I'd love for you, when you glance back through the Old Testament, you can see Holy Spirit working with Israel while even being grieved with Israel's disinterest at times and obstinate rebellion, the Holy Spirit, brokenhearted, but yet continued to, but continued to work with all of Israel all through, down through history. And it's so beautiful to see that even as Israel's leaders turn to idols and the wisdom of the world, the Holy Spirit never gives up. Again and again, even in the Old Testament, we have the Holy Spirit will find a farmer or a shepherd or a donkey that'll listen to his voice. The gentle voice of the Holy Spirit, however, is foreign to the natural mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is Paul now continuing in this letter, and he's helping him to understand the value of the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 14, Man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is why we treasure the Holy Spirit. And it's not like just one day I have an encounter with Holy Spirit and, wow, I have it now. Now I have all revelation. We all know that's not how it works, right? That's why this ongoing, outflowing, from, from the Trinity, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit is so essential because little by little our eyes become open and we behold and we can see ourselves in the light of his glory. But the reality is that since the fall of Adam onward, the Spirit often seems odd and out of touch and sometimes foolish. We never need to apologize for how the Holy Spirit works in our lives or within somebody else and maybe in a different way that we don't understand. Because the Holy Spirit is God, and he can work as he pleases. Now, if we go back to the beginning, we were made, of course, in the image of God. <clears throat> but yet we have been creating somewhat of our own image of God ever since. And that is where the work of the Holy Spirit comes to keep us in alignment, to keep our hearts humble, and to bring us into alignment and understanding in the revelation of truly who God is or, other, or, or we become just another religion. Holy Spirit's always patient. He's kind. He's tender. He's walking alongside us, even in our craziness, and he never gives up. Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus as we go to the New Testament like a dove and goes wild with just life and joy in Christ and healings and miracles and deliverance. Nothing like the cosmos had ever seen before. People couldn't understand Jesus and how he worked. He was working with Father and by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I never do anything except what the Father tells me to do. But it was through and by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was working. And so Jesus really set a tone and is really a model for us how to be effective in our world. And it's always within the union of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so here's Christ. Jesus is God in human flesh, but he works with the Father and by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You know, we have multiple references about of Jesus moving in the power of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit worked in his life. Now, when you talk about <clears throat> the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is someone, a person who can be lied to. We have scriptural references for all of these. It's really interesting. And who can be resisted, tested, grieved, insulted, quenched, and blasphemed. And yet the Holy Spirit doesn't just say, okay, I've had it. I'm out of here. He will relentlessly can, can keep coming towards us and gently. Most of the time is gentle. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will work in some fashion other than really gentle. But usually he comes gently and to work with us even in the midst of the mess of our own lives. Holy Spirit doesn't cut us off. He doesn't just separate. He is love even as the Father and Christ are love. I love Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. I never get tired of reading this passage. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord and manifested to us through the Holy Spirit. My add-on, pulling from the whole of scripture. He is love. It's the essence of his being. The Holy Spirit is love. Jesus is love. Father is love. And all are loved unconditionally. And I'm always marveling at the reality that <clears throat> nothing actually can just separate us in our walk throughout life from God's love. Even the person that gets rebellious and obstinate God, I don't want you in my life. How many of you think that God says, okay, I give up right there. He didn't want me in his life. No, it's not his God's nature just to give up. And furthermore, he sees the bigger picture. And by virtue of the fact that he actually is love, he'll just keep, keep moving along our side. Actually, to believe that we can somehow bring separation between ourselves and God is humanistic thinking. That somehow I am so powerful as a human that I can resist God and God will just absolutely break away from me and, and separate himself. That line of thought is not something we want to embrace because that's humanistic thinking. But rather what we want, the reality is, is that he's with us. He's with us. We're his children. And being his children, his heart is always for us. Numerous times, far too many than I would like to remember, I've sat with heartbroken moms and dads who had a child who turned against them in anger and refused to speak with them, sometimes for years and years and years and years. And any gesture of love towards that child was rejected and not received by the child. But what was the parent's response? Keep loving the child. In the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the rejection or possible betrayal or whatever the case may be, was, the power, was that rejection powerful enough to keep a parent from still loving the child? Absolutely not. Imagine God. <laughs> He's God, creator of our lives. 
And I love it where the psalmist David said, he gives us a little understanding as to how God in Christ through the Holy Spirit works in humanity. The psalmist David said in Psalms 139, he said, where can I go from your spirit? Now, David, as a lover of God, he had some insight and revelation of Holy Spirit and how God worked. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, therefore you are there. And David just recognizes, oh my goodness, doesn't matter how bad I mess up. God is always coming towards me in his great love by his spirit. We just can't separate ourselves. Now, we humans certainly can create barriers within relationship. We do that with one another sometimes, perhaps intentionally and sometimes unintentionally, but we're pretty good about creating some barriers, and then we have the challenge of trying to overcome those barriers and keep the love on. God doesn't create the barrier. Sometimes we create a barrier and have a sense of alienation, but Holy Spirit is keep working. He keeps working within us. When we go to the New Testament scriptures, we see the Holy Spirit not as a spectator. We see the Holy Spirit, I referred to it earlier, as a participant in the life of Christ and in this great union of relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me just make reference to a few of them before we wrap her up here. Luke chapter 1, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, this was an angel that God sends to Mary. And it's interesting that he didn't just tell Mary, here will be your condition, you'll just be pregnant, okay? And to leave her like, what in the world just happened to me? But rather, he introduces to her this whole thought that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Then we have another interesting reference too in Luke chapter 4. Where Jesus returned from Galilee, or excuse me, returned to Galilee after being in the wilderness. But he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. So even in the 40 days of the wilderness in the time of temptation, he was led there by Holy Spirit. And then when he came out of the wilderness experience, he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a wonderful message in all of that in and of itself. But I simply want to highlight the fact of the work of Holy Spirit in the life of Christ Jesus. Now, preceding this experience, though, was the fact that when Jesus was baptized, it says the heavens were opened up in Luke 3, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like as a dove. So here's Jesus. He's God now, has taken on human flesh, but he is very much in need of working with, in, in relationship with Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Full of joy through the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit releases peace. He releases joy in our lives. 
Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I'm simply highlighting the fact that Jesus worked within the union of the Father and Holy Spirit. And it was very vital to his life and his ministry. Luke chapter 3. No, I already have that one. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Once again, we see the activity and the life of the person of Holy Spirit. So from conception... To his death, resurrection, ascension, Jesus' life was thoroughly filled with the Holy Spirit. So sometimes we talk in terms of character about being Christ-like. And that is beautiful and we should be talking and thinking like that. But to be fully Christ-like means to be daily in communion with Father and Holy Spirit as well. Because the only way that I can become Christ-like is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in this month, what I really am praying that can happen to us, and I believe will, is as we highlight the person of Holy Spirit, that our awareness will raise of the Holy Spirit and how Holy Spirit works in us. And that we'll better recognize Holy Spirit activity. We'll be more uh, prompt to respond to the nudgings, to the voice of Holy Spirit. And I believe that as we do this at personal levels, that Holy Spirit activity will be elevated even in corporate, at the corporate uh, um, gatherings, if you will, and such. Okay? We're not looking for any particular kind of experience or just to relive good old days because there are good days presently and good days of the future. And Holy Spirit, though, wants to be in the center of all of our activity. I'm not suggesting he's not in the center of your life or our lives as a community, but I know this, I want more of Holy Spirit. This has been one of our values from the first day that we ever met as a congregation. Some of us had been in congregations and um, that where there was not a high level value for the working of the Holy Spirit. While we that came together initially, we all understood the role of Holy Spirit being God and uh, we all understood our need for Holy Spirit. Um, some of us held the Holy Spirit somewhat suspect. He's the one that might do something that's unpredictable. It's safer just to ignore what he might do and just ignore. Let's play it on the safe side. Listen, join the adventure. Join the great adventure of the Christian walk. And that is being fully drawn into this union of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think that as we even more consciously, with humility, focus upon Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do whatever you want to do in my heart today, you may be surprised 
at the little growth stimulants that may happen in your life. And it'll all be good even if you get uncomfortable. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. I'm going to encourage you or invite you to stand with me now. And I just, I, I, would you do this with me as we all stand? Let's just extend our hands. <laughs> I, I just want to invite you to just simply say, Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, may I lead us in a prayer? Would you, would you, I'm going to invite you to do this. Nobody has to do this. I just want to lead us in a prayer. And then you just kind of repeat after, after me then, because I'm, I'm going to be very intentional about highlighting Holy Spirit. Okay. That, that's, that's what I'm wanting to do right now. Okay. Father God, Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Thank you for inviting me into relationship. And thank you for the grace to say yes. I love you, God, as Father. Christ Jesus, and Holy Spirit. Increase my awareness of you, Holy Spirit, today, this coming week, day and night, work in my life. I yield to you, Holy Spirit. Fill me afresh and new. Baptize me with your love and power till I see the fruit of your life and ministry through me. Release the gifts of Holy Spirit. Release your miraculous workings in and through my life. Thank you, Father. Christ Jesus and Holy Spirit. I look forward to this month of July for increased Holy Spirit activity in my life and in our community and in the world around me. In Christ's name I pray. Everybody said amen. Here's what we want to do. Just release something now to a couple people around you. Just extend your hand towards two or three people as you feel prompted and say, more Holy Spirit. More Holy Spirit. <laughs> oh, wow. So good to see you today. Another beautiful summer day. Go in the peace of God and uh, look forward. We're going to come back next week. We're going to continue some chats about Holy Spirit. I would love to be able to hear. By the way, if you have any particular unusual things that Holy Spirit activity in your life this week, let me know. Give me a call. Shoot me a text or something. I would love to hear about it. Because that in that way, we encourage one another. Share it with other people. Okay? Let's, let's expect that we're going to have a, a Holy Ghost July. Okay? God bless you all. Go in the peace of the Lord.